You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, did you know that 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to a lack of communication during projects? The team over at BuildBook has solved that problem once and for all with a tool that keeps all the conversations and decisions between you, your team, and your clients in one place. Their simple, powerful app helps you create daily logs, schedule and manage your client tasks, keep track of selections, process change orders, and so much more. I met the BuildBook team in Vegas at IBS earlier this year, where they were chosen as a finalist for the most innovative construction tool of 2020, which is saying a lot considering how many tools are actually out there. If you're looking to remove the stress from your projects, make your clients happier, and increase your profits, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. There's absolutely no risk to try it. So go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 to take advantage of the trial and score the 45% off. This deal isn't available anywhere else. So I recommend at least trying out the software. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey, and welcome back to Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. This is going to be a continuation from last week. And as always, I'm joined with my dad, Wes, and my uncle, Brooks. Welcome, guys. Thanks, hey, how dad. you doing, Vince? Brooks is still on his month-long journey around, uh, around the country, or at least kind of the West Coast. The West. So, yeah, the West. For those of you listening, you can't see, but he, he appears to have started a bike shop because he has yeah. a bunch of bikes hanging behind him. So, Brooks, why did you decide to get into the bike business? Well, you know what? Just high margin, <laughs> low volume. I think, you know, it's just I'm making a killing. Well, I'm, I'm actually, uh, Spence, I'm in my son's garage in Bend, Oregon, and mountain biking's big down here. So, you're, uh, we're looking at the, all his mountain bikes. So I thought it'd be a good background instead of just looking at something else in his garage, which is just a mess. So anyway, bunch of junk, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of junk. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got a good collection going there. So that's yep. good. Yeah. Last week we had kind of done a dive into selling, you know, what does that look like in the residential construction space? We kind of talked about that process and there's a few more things we want to dive into, but one of the things we kind of left hanging, which we came very poorly prepared to talk about, which is, are there actually any public, you know, remodeling companies or really pretty large remodeling companies? And I guess, Brooks, you did a little bit of digging this week. What'd you find? Yeah, well, the, the interesting thing is, is and as, as we thought, there are actually no publicly 
traded remodeling companies. There's publicly traded general construct, you know, general contractors, you know, Turner, Qit, some of these bigger, bigger companies that are owned by the public or you know have or traded um, remodelers. There's not. There's the only there I was aware of. There's a a company called Pro.com, which is a startup out of Seattle, which I'm aware of just because we live in Seattle and they have locations in San Francisco and Denver. And and kind of their story is they're trying to take technology and make it so by using technology, they can make it scalable and then make it so they could take it you know all over the country as a as a brand. So that's their play. And they're they're a startup. So they're I think their goal is to get get, get bought and then get you know, go public at some point. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. They've been, I think, operating for three or four years. They've got a great website and great branding and, you know, a very great branding program, great systems. Like we talked about last time, it looks like their systems are great. But when you dig into their website a little bit, you realize they're just like every one of the rest of us, which is, hey, I'll do a custom home. I'll do a big remodel. I'll do, you know, I'll do all sorts of different stuff to try to figure out what my niche is. And the only difference is, is I think they're very well capitalized. Um, that's not public knowledge, but it, you know, it sounds like they've gotten some pretty good starting, you know, what do you call it? Level A, level oh. B. They've got oh, some yeah. initial funding. <clears throat> yeah, I thought I right. saw something like 60 million raised so far or something. Yeah. For a remodeling company, any of us would like be like, well, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'll just retire. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I didn't, I thought it had been 30 million, but Maybe, oh, okay. it's 60, like, maybe it's 60 now. Yeah, maybe uh, total. Yeah. Which is kind of an amazing number for all of us who kind of bootstrapped it up, which is, hey, I get my first job and then I'll get my second job and then maybe I can hire a carpenter and then, you know, I'll buy a truck. And if, you know, for a lot of us, that's how we all started. So kind of an amazing way to approach it. So we'll see whether technology really is the play or is it still the people that execute it? Yeah, you kind of wonder if that's the kind of the frosting on the cake, but not the cake itself. And that the cake really comes back to the part that I think is really hard to scale, which is the skills of the craftsmen, especially in remodeling, maybe even more so than, you know, and I think that maybe that's the reason that we have publicly traded builders for new homes, but we don't have publicly traded remodelers is because of the fiddliness <laughs> of remodeling, right? Because every single job is unique. You're going into somebody else's house. That house, even if there was two tract homes, let's say, right next door to each other, and you went to remodel one versus the other, there's that 30 years of history of what's happened with the homeowners that have been in that house. And so they're both going to be different jobs. And so I think that's really hard to get your arms around from a production standpoint in order to scale. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I think most most public companies, you know, they want to scale and that's why they're gone public and they want to, it's a way to get big. Yeah, you look at the public builders, you know, they're building 50,000 houses a year. It'd be a challenge to do 50,000 remodels a year in a scale where remodeling is one of those last things where you are building something in front of somebody. People are sitting there watching you all day, you know. You know, one of the owners is going to, might be home all day, especially now working from home. Oh, let's remodel someone's bathroom while they're working from home and they can't have any noise. And oops, <laughs> we cut your internet. Uh-oh, that's a problem. <laughs> so there's all those kind of things where you know you think about tract building construction. You know, they put a big gate up and say, "Hey, nobody can come in here until we're done with your house, and then we'll give it to you." But you know, 
you can't even come on the site. So I think there's a lot of different things. Like Wes said, there's craftsmen, you know, there's a shortage of craftsmen. So how could you get enough craftsmen to do remodeling number one? And then how do you scale it when you're having to interact with every client every day and you just can't charge enough? Yeah. It kind of makes me think with some of the funding, I wonder if a big part of it is going towards a really amazing training program because if they figure they're going to be scaling up, you know, the marketing and sales side, they're probably pretty well versed in that. You know, I thought, thought I saw two couple of guys coming from Amazon background and, yep. you know, like you said, the branding looks, you know, consistent and sharp and everything. And if they've got money to pour on, on that side of things, then their challenge will be the delivery side. So I don't know, maybe there's some tech there with kind of learning management systems and some of those types of things, but uh, I don't know. Uh, it's a, yeah, it'll be a big challenge. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think the place that can help, obviously, is where we've found things where if you have an app and there's, it just helps the flow of communication and information about scheduling and changes. And so I think that it can really help on the communication piece. I could see where that would be a big plus whether that's enough to give you a big edge or I don't know that it really still allows you to scale because of the, the tradesman aspect. So yeah, I guess that'll remain to be seen. I hope they're successful at it. It'd be great. It would be great yeah. for the consumer. I mean, I just was working with a uh, friend of a friend who has, is on their second contractor in a big full house remodel and you know, just not going well. I mean, the first the first contractor stole some money, didn't finish oh. the job. Second contractor's been on the job for a year, not going well. And it's just like, as a reputable contractor, it makes all of us cringe when you hear this. You're like, you work so hard to get a job. And then these other jobs, you're like, how did that person even get that job? And did so poorly and then stole. And But a lot of times consumers are not, do not spend time doing their due diligence or they buy on price. Yeah, you definitely see that a lot. Sorry, go ahead, Wes. Oh, no. I, yeah, I was just going to chime in on that. I think remodeling is one of those industries where we do struggle with reputation just because it is such a hand-built product and there's opportunity for so many different things to go wrong. And so, you know, we just we completed a, a major remodel about a year ago. And the thing that I was looking for with our remodel was honesty. You know, just straight shooter, someone, because I knew there'd be problems, right? Just from my background, the industry and so on. This will not go smoothly from start to finish. I know that that's baked into the cake. So what I really want is someone who will be honest and forthright to the whole project. And then we can deal with anything. And if you don't have that, then there's uh, many problems will ensue. But I think that's uh, one of the things that remodelers struggle with overall. Well, I think we do. And, and we often, you know, when in our business, we come, people would come to us like, oh, I wish I'd come to you first. Or they'd go with somebody else. They'd come back and say, oh, I wish I'd gone with you guys. And we're like, yeah, we wish you had too, because we could have used the job. And, you know, now you've wasted. We had one person come to us to have a basement done. And they said, no, you're, you know, I think it was a $50,000 basement or something. And they, they said, no, that's too expensive. And they, they went away and they came back a year later. And said, well, I gave this guy $40,000 and, you know, that we, they has come back out and he basically thrown some stuff around, maybe framed in some stuff, put in maybe a couple grand worth of stuff and 
taken their 40,000, you know, and there's like empty liquor bottles down in the basement. You're and the person's like, well, I only have 10,000 left. What can you do? We're like, no. Yeah. Over 10 grand or 15 grand, which I understand is a lot of money, but it's just people, people shop. And we're even more conditioned now, I think with Amazon to shop on price or Costco and you know, remodeling. It's not something you want to shop price on too much. Well, and I, and I know this, our topic today is not marketing, but, right. <laughs> but we do have to remember that as remodelers, if we don't give people a reason not to buy on price, that's right. what they'll buy on because they're not conditioned to understand the other things that they should be considering and buying on. And, right. and truly, you know, they say that the studies have shown that only, I think, 10% of buyers are truly price buyers, and that's what they're going to buy on. No matter what you show them for other reasons, they're still going to buy on price. The other 90% are persuadable and and if you take them through a process. So anyway, probably a, a subject for another podcast. Another day. Yeah. Another day. We want to sell well, this business today. Come on. Let's yeah, let's sell it. Well, yeah. Well, let's get back to that in a second. I, I had looked up kind of the list. I was trying to find public companies too, like you were, Brooks, and I think I landed on the it's either like a top 500 or some, I think qualified remodeler puts out a list yep, or something. And it seemed like there's definitely a few companies that get bought out by private equity firms. So I'd imagine there's a lot of big private equity firms that hold fairly large remodeling companies, but they either, maybe that firm is public, but there's just the remodeling company is one of 20, 30, 50 companies in that mix, or they just stay private. And I saw there were Quite a few, like you said, maybe roofing companies or kind of big, you know, even commercial remodeling companies. And then it was like 1.6 billion was the top guy. Then it went to like 700 million. And then, it, you know, it starts to drop it's off quick, pretty yeah. quickly. And so I think for a lot of the reasons you guys have kind of talked about, it's just such a personalized, custom, unique process and experience for each individual customer. And it's, it's yeah, makes it tougher to scale. I think there is a good point, Spence, and thanks for bringing that up, which is that there is private equity and that you could, as a sale, you know, you could position yourself to have the, you know, to be attractive to get bought by private equity or a hedge fund or something like that, you know, because they're going to buy your sales volume, they're going to buy your, you know, the reputation and the repeatableness of the business. And yeah, roofing companies are big ones for that. Siding companies are big ones for that. Window companies, very specific. You know, general remodelers, I mean, it's hard to see those. I think when we were doing 10 million in remodeling, we were in the top 100 remodelers in the country. It tells you how quickly it drops. So these yeah, roofing very fast. guys are across four or five states. They're doing, you know, 1.6 billion, 700 million, and then it drops so fast. I'd have to go back and look at the list, but it's probably only 10 or 25 that are north of 100 million. And then probably everybody's oh, under that. Yeah. Everybody's under that. And they're just, you know, regular guys just trying to make a living, you know, and they're not doing, if you're doing 20 or 30 million as a remodeler, you're knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Well, let's maybe shift gears back to that original conversation of buying and selling and trying to figure out, you know, Hey, if you have a business, you know, we kind of talked about who the potential buyers are and maybe uncovered a potential new one today, which is maybe a private equity firm. But, you know, if you're going to sell, what do you think are kind of some of those great situations where you know you can you can find a good scenario where you're putting yourself in the best spot to sell maybe not only at the right price but 
what other components of the deal are involved to make like that whole package more advantageous for the the seller? Wes, do you have any initial thoughts on on that? Yeah, I guess that I guess I maybe back up one step because it sounded like maybe you were going in the direction of well, who who would even your potential buyers be, or you know, what kind of buckets would they fall into? And I think sure that would be a place to start. Is you're either looking this my my opinion, and Brooks may have a very different take on this, but seems like you're looking for either another remodeler in the area who maybe is younger <laughs> and is still in a, in expansion mode and is going, okay, well, I can do a couple of things. You know, I can eliminate a competitor by buying this company, you know, buying your company. I can expand my market, or you know, maybe I can pick up this person's systems. You know, this this guy. Has or, or the staff, right? Yeah, exactly. We've talked about tradespeople and, and all of that. And so hard to find. And so maybe you've actually got employees on payroll that are highly skilled that your buyer doesn't have access to in your marketplace for whatever reason. So I think lots of times it can be another remodeler who's looking to expand. It could be a builder who is looking to expand into remodeling to help broaden, you know, spread his risk a little bit. Could be another potential. Or it could be someone who's looking to get out of a, they want to, they've been working, maybe they've been working in big business or something else, and they're looking to have some independence and move into a totally different space. So I think those two broad buckets are kind of where you'd be looking for potential buyers. And I think the latter, the latter bucket, you know, someone who's looking for independence is totally changing industries in some ways. Is probably your riskiest. I would think buyer, so. You know, so depending on who your buyer is, I think will have a big impact on how you structure your your deal. Anyway, but we'd say it was your question really about how to structure deals. Vince? Yeah, you know, and I guess in thinking about where I think we've been going with all of this is, hey, this is a unique business, which is probably one of the reasons sales don't happen that often. And I think a secondary reason that they get passed down so often too, that's tend to be family oriented, but then it's an easier transition there. But yeah, if you're truly, you don't have that option, which I think we've talked about in other episodes and you're actually looking to sell to a buyer, then yeah, I guess how do those deals look? And we can pick one example if you you feel like they're going to be pretty different. I think generally they fall into some some broad categories. I think one of the most common ways that you see is, you know, you're going to sell and you're going, you're not typically selling stock in your company or you're not selling stock to somebody else or, you know, depending on how you have it structured or, or shares in a LLC or anything like that, because you're really not passing on liabilities typically in a sale. So typically what you'd want to do is, it, the, the sale would probably have two components. It'd have a component of, I have some assets I want to sell. So maybe I've got some trucks, some equipment, um, tools and things like that. And then I also have a book of business that seems to be you know, ongoing. I'm doing about $5 million a year or $4 million a year. It's been very consistent. I can show that to you in my books. I've got a sales system that has some value around it. And usually it would be some sort of a multiple of of your net operating income. And so you can certainly do some research in your area and see if there's any multiples around remodeling sales for, you know, what's the multiple for your NOI. So is it 
two times NOI or five times NOI. So, and that of course will become a big negotiation piece of, of the sale. So that's two pieces. You've got, I'm selling you a bunch of assets. Maybe I'm just going to sell you a hundred thousand dollars worth of assets or something. And you can put that on a note if you want, or they can pay you cash. And then you've got this value of the ongoing business piece, which is some multiple of net operating income. And once you arrive at that, that number, then that also can become part of a, a, you know, a down payment and a note that can be paid off over a certain period of time. I would try to take as many of your chips off the table as possible. Absolutely. Up front. So you do want to make it fairly short term. So maybe a couple of years. Um, I would go beyond two. Yeah. Yeah. I think two would be the outside limit because you can't control what's going to happen in the marketplace. You can't control what's going to happen with that business. Are you saying a two-year note you wouldn't go past? Or are you saying you wouldn't be in like part of the transition for two years? Like I'm going to help you work in the business for two years and get out, I guess. So I would say that the longer you make the note, the more in a downstroke you need on the down payment, because I think you need to go into any deal where you're selling going, yeah, I may not get all this money that's on this note. And you have to be okay with that because that happens a lot in business sales. So you know, you got a five-year note, you got, you know, 50% down and 50% on a note, let's say, and it's a five-year note. Payments go along pretty good for two years, two and a half years, three years, but something happens with the buyer and the payments go away. And you're not going to ever collect on that note. Yeah, I would, so, I would definitely kind of think in, in terms of, you know, get as much down as you can get. I would take, in my case, I mean, I would take less money overall, more down, just to get some cash because my, the chances of getting that whole note is like Wes said, very small, very small. One way to look at it too, is you can just handicap your years of payments. So if you say, well, I'm 98% sure I'll get my first year of payments and I'm 80% sure I'll get year two and I'm 50% sure I'll get year three and 25% year four. So, and then multiply that by what those payments would be and go, okay, well, you know, is that enough? Is that, that, is that enough? Is that, am I going to be okay with that? Because that's very realistic for something that could happen that way. Yeah. So, if you only get 75 or so percent of yeah. your initial you know, sales so, price. So get as much yeah. as you can down, keep the term as short as possible. One thing that can impact whether you get paid or not is if you do, one thing we have discussed, whether you have a uh, employment contract. So, you know, the new buyer, depending on who the buyer is. So let's say it's a competitor. They may say, hey, you know, Spencer, we want to stay on and run it for two years. And you have an employment contract for X amount of dollars. Well, by the fact that you're in the business running it, you know, everything's going to go along pretty smoothly. That kind of puts you close to 100% that you're going to get your payments <laughs> in addition to your salary during that period of time. And then, then the drop-off could potentially happen once you step out. But chances are good you're not going to get an employment contract that's going to last past two years and you wouldn't want one. Really. No, no, they, you need to be moving on. You need to let whoever's buying that business do their thing. And yeah, in remodeling, I think in a year, you could have transferred all the knowledge you needed to transfer. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of employment contracts for big companies are two years or something, but in a remodeling company, I mean, gosh, after a year, if I was Oops. buying a company, after a year, I'd want that other guy gone. Like, okay, got it. I'm ready to, ready to go. It depends on your experience level. Right. Like, Thank you.
If you've followed Builder Funnel for even a little bit, you know we're huge believers in the inbound marketing methodology. One of the most important phases is the client delight phase. By delighting customers, you turn them into promoters of your business and your brand. The only way to get people to go out of their way to sing your praises is to wow them throughout the process. This is something the guys over at BuildBook are helping you do. Better communication leads to better outcomes. And that means communication at every level. Daily logs, client selections, punch lists, and change orders. Today, that communication gets super fragmented between email, text, and phone calls. And inevitably, things fall through the cracks. With BuildBook, everything funnels through one simple app, keeping everyone on the same page and your clients filled with delight. No more digging through texts or random emails looking for client approvals. Just one place to see everything going on with a project. And as a reminder, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. All right, let's get back to the show. You might get a, a great situation where there's another remodeler who says, hey, I just want you to stay on as the GM and I want to continue working and I really enjoy this work, yeah. but I do want to cash out. Right. You know, I need, to, I need to convert. I need to liquidate some of this yeah. asset that I have and, you know, uh, for other purposes. So it sounds like as the the seller of the business, you guys are advocating for, I guess you'd be looking at probably just market value of equipment and that sort of thing, tools, but then valuation is a negotiating point. And then terms are the other big one. Are you getting more down, less down or how many years? So it sounds like you guys are advocating for, obviously you'd fight for as much valuation as you can get, but it'll probably settle around, you know, you know, somewhere in the middle probably. And then shoot for more down, even if you have to take a, a slight hit on valuation. Am I understanding that correct? Or would you add anything to that? Are there other big components I, I of the yeah, deal? I think that would be my take on it. And I think yeah. also the employment contract enters into it too, if that's something that's important to you. You know, either you guys are both are in agreement about that. Yes, you want to continue working and they want you to continue working, then that's great. That's a win-win. And that has some value in that because you maybe want to keep your health care going or continue funding, you know, your 401k or, you know, some of these other things that will be part of your longer term strategy. So that can be part of the whole negotiation too. Yeah. Brooks. The other thing we haven't talked about is that you definitely want in a sale, you want this buyer to, if they're buying the company, then they're buying the warranty. This is a key component of, you know, who takes the warranty. So in a lot of deals, some buyers are like, you know, hey, that warranty stays with you, Mr. Seller, which unfortunately in, in remodeling can be a big number. It also is a new construction. You want to try to find a buyer who's like, yeah, okay, I'll take on the warranty. What have your warranty claims been the last five years? And I understand what that is. And that's part of the cost of doing business. And if they're buying the company, then that, that insurance will stay in place and you because know, you have to have your insurance ongoing. So you really want to make sure that they're assuming all the liability for warranty and you're off the hook. Because let's say they go out five years and then the business folds and then there's, you know, there's, there's a warranty claim in year seven. You, know, you don't want to be there. You know, you've been retired for seven years and all of a sudden a warranty claim comes back and somehow sticks to you. So you definitely, warranty is a huge component of it. And we ran into this several times when we bought the construction business from our parents. 
our dad was very sure that he stuck the warranty on us. So that was part of the deal. But we took a discount on price because of that. But uh, it was a big, you know, we built, I think when we bought the company, at that point, we built 2,000 homes. So we were assuming the liability of warranty on potentially 2,000 homes. So yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So you really want, that's a good point. You want to know how many projects or homes or, you know, are What's the exposure? within that, yeah, that time frame. Yep. The business keeps going and keeps insurance. Then there's insurance in place for when a warranty claims made. And you just want that, whoever bought that company, say, if you bought XYZ Builders, you're taking all the warranty and your insurance will take care of that. And I'm free and clear. That's the seller. So, and to Brooks's point, so that's that's really why you got to go get some professional help around these, yeah, around these deals. You know, you guys can, whoever you're selling to, or who you're looking to buy, you know, you can kind of go to breakfast and work things out on the back of a napkin, you know. But at some point, you'll have to you'll have to bring in the bigger guns and and get an experienced attorney that does this type of work to make sure that you're you're covered on some of those areas around things like warranty. Yeah, warranty is probably the biggest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and earlier you guys also mentioned that somebody might be buying you and they may just be really interested in staff and your your team that you have. So Brooks, do you think that, especially right now where people are really looking for, for good people, does that just get factored into the overall valuation because there's no way to guarantee that staff will stay yeah, if you sell no all that? no way to guarantee uh, any of that. So you're really... Valuation is part of your your NOI or EBITDA or something like that, and you're going to as a buyer, you're going to assume that uh, you're going to lose some staff just through attrition as you make a change like that. As a seller, you would be trying to keep all your people in place and try to encourage them to to stay, and that's going to be part of how you manage the uh, just the mechanics and of how you make that transition. If you do a good job, everyone's like, oh yeah, this is great. The new buyer's great. I'm really happy. I've been here 10 years. I'm staying. Pretty fluid. Yeah. So I don't think you could really, unless you had every employee under an employment contract, I don't think there's any guarantee you can take give to that buyer. No, not at all. But I think as a buyer, you do want to kind of know the staff that you, of the company that you're acquiring and kind of know if it's at all possible, what their thoughts are. You know, the last company that we bought, one of the key employees thought that he was going to be buying the company. So, you know, he didn't stick stick around. Uh, so we had to replace him. But that's just one of those things where, you know, us not understanding some of the key players. So you need to understand the staff that's coming over and what their long-term aspirations are right. and what they're thinking of the Maybe they're thinking they're going to retire in a couple of years and, you know, or you know, maybe they don't want to stick in the remodeling space. Who knows? So anyway, that's just part of your due diligence. So on the, the flip side, you know, I think we've been kind of running down this conversation, assuming a lot of people want to build their business to sell or transfer it or figure out what to do with it. What about the people out there right now that maybe haven't thought about buying a company as a way to, to grow? Brooks, is that something that you guys ever looked at as you were scaling up to, I think you said you got to about 10 million, or did you guys just look at growing through marketing and sales and your systems and everything? We just looked at growing through marketing and sales. You know, the barrier to entry to the remodeling space is so low. I mean, if you've got good skills and you've got some aptitude and you're, you're willing to work hard, you can start a remodeling business. You know, a couple grand, lease a truck and 
get a job from a couple people at church and you're on your way. So I think just through sales and marketing, you can grow your business. So I would, I would be hesitating to see if, to think that you could find someone, you know, that as a buyer, you'd want to buy someone's remodeling business. I mean, you're just, you're not going to be willing to pay that much. You're not going to pay a couple million dollars or something. Or although if someone had offered me that, maybe I would have sold. (laughs) (laughs) I I tend to agree with Brooks on that one. If you're looking at, at expanding through acquisition, I think typically well, you've got some some issues to consider that are softer issues that will impact the value of really what you bought. And I think you know, one of them is the culture piece. So, and that's been proven in lots of different industries where companies gobble up other companies and they think that's just going to seamless. They're just going to add that revenue in. And but the culture is radically different between the two companies, and so that causes disruption. People leave either in the old company or the new company. And so that has an impact, of course, on profitability and on revenue. So that's one thing to think about, you know, is it easier to grow organically, you know, with your own culture and and all of that in place? Or do you really want to go buy somebody else and then have to work through their culture piece for for your company as you assimilate them them in? Because it's very rare that you just leave a company alone. (laughs) <laughs> right. You know, oh, sure. We're not going to change a thing. This is, you know, rock solid. And then within six months, you know, you can't help yourself. So you're yeah. <laughs> changing things. <laughs> I, I kind of agree with Brooks. It's, I think it's easier just to, in some ways, to build it. That doesn't mean that you don't want to find someone to buy your company. <laughs> right. But in terms of your own expansion. Sure. Push more towards building it. Let's walk through a potential scenario and see if there's any like reasons we can pull out that that you would want to go down that path. So let's say you're looking at a target acquisition that company's doing maybe 1.5, 2 million. Let's just call it two. And so if we're looking at a sale price, you know, we have I'm just gonna spitball and you guys can tell me where I'm way off here. But let's just say NOI, you know, good target company is shooting for 10%. I think is what we've talked about for industry standard, maybe eight to 12 or somewhere in there. So we'll call it 10. So that's maybe 200 grand after owner salary. And then you're looking at valuation plus equipment for a purchase price, right? So maybe it, so it's some multiple. Is that going to be? It's just, yeah, let's just use 3X. Just 3X. Okay. So it's 600 grand for the valuation and then 100 for equipment. Or I don't know, Brooks, you would know better for well, you <laughs> tools know, equipment. Okay. Yeah. Tools and equipment or, you know, every van out there is going to be, you know, they would have spent 30 grand on it and it's worth five grand, you know, so you're, let's sure. say it's a hundred grand in tools and equipment because it's all depreciated. And so, you yeah. know, unless they're running brand new equipment. So, so you got 700 grand total. 700 grand. Okay. So you're going, okay, that's a potential, potentially what I'd have to pay to bring in this business that's in theory running at a $2 million run rate. I guess, Wes, what would be the first few things where if you were going to structure this deal and move forward with it, that you would really be honing in on and going, okay, I want to make sure X, Y, and Z are in place. And then I would, then I would look at this. Yeah. Well, first we have, we talked about before, but you got to start with financials. So what are their financial controls? Do they have regular statements? Does the CPA, you know, bless them at least once a year? You know, you need to see all the tax returns. So you really need to crawl through the expenses and see if all the expenses are really in line 
So I think the whole financial piece is, is step number one from a due diligence standpoint. And I add that uh, with make yeah, sure yeah. owner's comp is accurate. Right. You know, if like, oh, I'm making, you know, 200 grand a year, but I actually don't pay myself, you know, as the owner. I mean, right. owner's comp, is, you mentioned after owner's comp, but owner's comp has got to be at market, not substandard or it's whatever. That's right. The, the owner should be paid, not, not if you have some other kind of arbitrary deal. So then you have to make that adjustment. So if they're underpaying themselves by 30%, you've got to mark that up and put it back in there. And I think the other thing too, is to look at what the owner and the seller is actually doing in the company. Because if they literally have their fingers in every single aspect of the company every day, <laughs> all the time, then if you take them out, there's not a, probably not a lot there. There's no value there. Right. Nope. So then you'd be going, well, I don't want to pay, you know, 700,000 for this. Why would I do that? So I think that that's the, the second thing I would look at is how, how critical is that owner to the operation? And even if you were thinking, oh, I'm going to have them operate for a couple of years. Well, what happens after the end of the second year? Good points. Yeah. Brooks, what, what else is standing out to you? What would you be looking at? You know, as a buyer, you know, I, I would be looking at, you know, obviously the financials, like Wes said, and then the uh, systems. So it'd be all about the systems. I'd be focusing on, you know, the sales funnel. What is, you know, what are they really bringing in? Do they have a system or is it, you know, most remodeling companies are really the person. It's, you know, it's their referral network. If their whole sales systems built around their referral network that, you know, 90% of their jobs come from their relationships in Rotary and the church they attend. That's not really replicable. Yeah, I have a, a, a buddy of mine. His all his work comes from that kind of network, and that's people buy from him for that reason. But it's not scalable, and nobody else can do that. You know, he's been doing it that way for forty years. So, so I think those are those are the things I like. Where is the business coming from? You know, and is it is it something that you can is repeatable? Or once I also, yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Brooks. And I'll just throw in there kind of reputation management. So I definitely want to be talking to some of their past customers and looking and seeing what their reputation is online, all of those types of things, because you're really looking to buy something that's a plus and, and not a negative. And so you really don't you don't have time to be dealing with a lot of those PR headaches that maybe would be glossed over in talking to the, to the owner, the seller, you know, easy way, easy way to do it is to say, Hey, uh, you know, tell me how many people in your database, uh, you know, you got 5,000 people in your database and of those 5,000, how many people are repeat customers? Oh, okay. 2% or 3% or something. That's an important thing to know because that's, you're like, okay, well, we've got this database this percentage is a repeat customer base. The other 93% or 97%, I have to go get every year. And what's the system for that? And if they say, we never have repeat customers, it's like, well, okay, wonder why that is. Yeah, those are good points. It seems like then if, you're, if you do go down this path, you'd really be looking at the systems and then trying to negotiate down on valuation. Because like you said, I mean, take 700 grand, could you put that into marketing and sales and fuel it a lot faster. And then you're just integrating jobs into your own systems versus having to take new people, train them into your systems if they don't have any, and that's a nightmare. And then you've got the culture piece and then 
if there's no steady lead flow. So you'd be looking to probably shorten the term, keep the owner on so you can learn all the little things for the two years and, and uh, negotiate down the valuation. Otherwise, what I'm, this is what I'm hearing from you is, hey, the trade-off is just keep pushing harder on your own systems and business. Yeah. And it's, you've really got to get a lot of things right for it to be worth trying to go through that whole process of acquiring. <laughs> I think think the the best day, I think the best day of owning a new company is the first day. Sure. Yeah. You know, after that, it'll start trending downhill. (laughs) After that work. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I mean, interesting point, I think, is that consumers really want to buy from the owner. We certainly found this, even though Todd and I were not in the direct line of sales when we're doing, you know, 10 million. People still want to see the owner, talk to the owner. They're buying from people. You know, they're spending a lot of money. They're spending two, three hundred grand, and they're like, you know, I want to look the owner in the eye. And and we tried to get away from that. It's just hard to. So I think that's an interesting thing, and something to think about as you're as you're building your business is how do you provide that personal touch that people want, but scale it so that you know you can't sell to everybody, and you can't see everybody, and you can't. But people are buying people in that situation. They're like, I'm going to spend a hundred grand. And I want to know the people I'm working with are, are nice people to work with. Yeah. They're going to be in my house. They're going to be in my house. They're going yeah. to be in my house. And that, that's a yep. huge thing. That's just a huge thing. I don't think that could be understated. I was thinking our, yeah, our tagline was on time and on budget. And I looked at uh, pro.com saying, and that's their tagline, on time and on budget. I'm like, well, let's see what else do we have to sell. You know? <laughs> what's that third unique, right? Yeah. yeah. What's the third unique? No one can figure it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not killers. I don't, you know, I don't know what is it that you're going to put out there. Yeah. Yeah. It well, is true. I'm on budget and correct. And correct. Yeah. And right. Yeah. 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 Sounds similar to one that you had, Wes, I feel like in the direct mail company like correct complete something or uh yeah right i've forgotten what that is now (laughs) yeah but it just shows you you know i think how difficult that process is of coming up with your uniques and and i think it proves the point there people are buying people especially in this business and so yeah if you can just build your own good team and develop good people that may be the the faster path but wes as we kind of wrap up this two-part you know discussion around buying selling what would you leave people with to, to think about if they are, I guess, exploring one of these paths? My takeaway would be, and this is just my personal thoughts and experience, but I think if I was buying, I would look very hard at just not buying and doing it myself. And uh, if I was looking to sell, I would temper my expectations about selling and work really hard to make sure that my retirement, my future is not tied up around the sale of my company and that I've generated enough profitability out of that company and socked it away that I don't need that that sale because it's probably not going to produce as much as you think it's going to produce. And so I would go into it with that expectation. Good advice. Yeah. How about you, Brooks? Final thoughts? I agree, agree with those thoughts. And I would also, I probably as whatever your age you are, at this point, as you're listening, I would start my planning for my exit strategy now. Right. And even if you say, you know what, I'm going to position my company to sell, I'd have two tracks. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to build the best systems, the best sales process, everything to sell. 
Meanwhile, I'm going to make the best margins I can make, and I'm going to peel that money out of the company, and I'm going to invest it in in real estate and other assets that will generate income from my retirement. And what will come from that will be you'll have a great company that is highly profitable, which you then take money out of to create a great retirement. And you get to the point where you need to sell, and yeah, you may not even need to sell. Or you might, you might, well, there's a few hundred extra grand I made that I didn't think I'd make. Yeah, could you just be frosting on the cake? Right, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because even through our scenario, you know, if you're running at 2 million and you do get a 3x valuation, which may be tough to get, you know, you're looking at six or 700 grand. And so, yeah. Not enough to uh, retire on. Yeah, not enough to retire on. So, yeah, start peeling it away, like you said. Well, thanks, guys. I think this has been good. And hopefully, for you guys listening, hopefully, it added some clarity if you were thinking about buying or selling. And good luck making the next moves and take those next steps of planning. Now, the, the planning starts today. So, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week here on Builder Funnel Radio. Mm-hmm.